the head of the Anti-Defamation League, Jonathan Greenback, called me after I went on TV, I went on TV in this country to talk about Whoopi Goldberg and her misreading of the Holocaust, in which I explained what I've just said to you. He called me and he said, could you just explain that again? And I explained it again. And the next day, the ADL, having not defined anti-Semitism as racism, changed their definition on their website, which is great. But it is amazing that up to that point, they hadn't. You're listening to Your Jewish Life, Your Way with Karen Cinnamon, the podcast that explores what it feels like to be Jewish or Jewish in 2023. On the show, we divulge all of the secrets and know-how to being confident in celebrating and living your Jewish life, your way, with easy, simple ways to embrace your mishpacha through the traditions and rituals you've been dying to learn more about. So save your kvetching. We're talking less Jewish guilt and more Jewish joy here on out. Yalla, forget about the right and wrong ways to be Jewish. It's time to create a Jewish life you love living. So I brought David Baddiel onto the podcast because I was so impacted by his polemic, his highly regarded and best-selling book, Jews Don't Count. By his own admission, I don't think his publishers expected to be as much of a phenomenon as it was. It's a book you almost feel like, God, at last someone's bloody said this. (laughs) To sound very English, I know we don't use bloody outside of the UK, but I am here in London. So I wanted to get David onto the podcast to talk about his book. He's very, very, very well known here in the UK and globally. He's an accomplished comedian, author, screenwriter, television presenter, and now he's an activist of sorts with this book. I don't think he knew what a phenomena his Jews Don't Count book would create, but um, it really has spoken to the masses. Um, And you know what? I wanted to get him on the show because it's that thing that we all feel that anti-Semitism isn't considered to be as unacceptable as other forms of discrimination. Even among those who are vocal in their support of other minorities, they don't seem to latch on getting behind Jews when they're discriminated against. So I wanted to bring David on to talk about this phenomena and what we can do about it. But you know what? It's also a really fun episode. Lots of laughs. We kept it light. Lots of brilliant stories from David. And I'm really proud that this show can talk about such difficult subjects, but keep things light and fun. And I promise you at the end of the episode, you'll feel uplifted and empowered from what we talk about. So we're going to dive right in. And as always, do DM me at Your Jewish Life on Instagram with thoughts on the show. Take a screenshot, tag at Your Jewish Life, tag Real Badil, uh, my guest, and let us know what you think of the episode. It's one of my personal favorites. So here we go. So welcome, David. Obviously, as a big fan of the book, Jews Don't Count, um, I've been waiting for today for a long time. Hi, but, Karen. Um, <laughs> good to have Lovely you on to today. So I'm diving right in. I would love to know, how did you get to the point where you're the person I'm talking to about Jews not counting? I'm not absolutely sure. And you come <laughs> to me at a point in time where it's kind of two years after the book came out in this country, I'm speaking from London. So I went, I mean, this is a story that might illustrate where I am. I went to World Jewish Relief. This is a charity the other day. We had a, they had a big dinner and I was there and it was great. It was very nice. But I noticed something which I noticed now, which is that if I go to anything like that, 
a lot of people will come to me with kind of stories about their life, illustrations that are similar, the ones that I talk about in the book, sort of asking me to do something, like to actually like, you know, okay, I, I read this thing in the Times and it was a clear example of Jews not counting and you've got to do something about it. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not sure that's exactly what my job is. And really nice at some level because it's nice to feel that you've made enough of a dent on that conversation that people think, I've got to tell this to David Baddiel. Like this happens a lot on Twitter and stuff as well, is that uh, it's happened about four times this morning, is that people will say, oh, David, have you seen this? It's a hashtag Jews don't count. <laughs> uh, the, the only issue is, and this may be the wrong podcast to say this on, is I want at some point to move away. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> from being like like UK's Mr. Jew, like like the birth the person who talks about this and this alone, but it's hard, partly because the community here certainly, and maybe a little bit in America as well, expects it now, and and secondly, the world keeps on showing more and more examples of it. So I don't know if you saw the other day, it's a great example actually was that on Joe Rogan's show, um, Joe Rogan suddenly started saying this thing about how. He was talking about Ilan Omar apologizing. Um, he said, no, Jews are into money. Jews are into money. Everyone knows Jews are into money. And it's not a, uh, an offensive thing to say. It's no different from saying Italians are into pizza. And I saw it and I thought, okay, no one is saying anything about this. Like a podcast that goes out to 15 million, whatever it is, people. Someone has to say something. And to some extent, it's my particular niche insight to see those things and see exactly break them down. And the way I broke it down on social media was to say, okay, so the problem with this idea that it's not offensive, is he's compared it to something not offensive, which is that Italians like pizza, but the history of Italians and the Italian community is that none of them have ever been genocided for liking pepperoni or whatever. Uh, and Jews and the idea that Jews are into money and control money and have a particular relationship to money that is kind of evil and you know intense and fetishizing or whatever, that is deeply, deeply entwined with why Jews have been persecuted over centuries, you know, and so the idea that, you know, it's just a thing that people say, or even that it's kind of, you know, you get this thing that like people say, oh, yeah, that's kind of complimentary to Jews because it shows that Jews are shrewd or Jews are good at business. All that is tied in with very deep roots in anti-Semitism. So, so I started to talk about it. And then next thing I knew, you know, I was getting lots of pushback and blah, blah, blah. And there was a firestorm on social media, of course. And that's the thing is that like, I kind of want to move away from it, but then no one else seems to be saying this stuff as much or... Not no one else that's unfair. well it's you've got you've got the platform and the yeah. relatability and also yeah. the trust from the non-jewish world as well you've got most unlike a lot of other jewish activists i know you don't wouldn't call yourself yeah. an activist or maybe you would but an influencers you've got a mainly non-jewish audience which i think a lot of other people view as really really powerful stuff to make a difference and yeah. you're relatable and funny and you keep it light and it's not <laughs> boring it to read your yeah. posts, you know? Yes. And, I think all and the book that... is funny. And actually yes. the, documentary, the documentary, which you haven't yet seen in America, is really which funny. my American audience are begging me to do something to... We'll, well make it happen. If anyone's watching who like, owns a studio <laughs> um, anywhere on, in American television uh, or a big stream, if anyone's watching from Netflix, um, then <laughs> buy this documentary, Jews Don't it Count. It is brilliant. Uh, I love the styling but, of it, uh, by the way, that sort of cool black, again, yeah. 
Jewish stuff doesn't normally look cool and rad. And, and I think, again, that's that's part of the problem as well. So I think, Karen, that, Karen, that's such a, I mean, you know, you, you've hit on something there. So if anyone doesn't know, by the way, I know you, you said we've had a little chat and you said I don't need to explain like what I talk about, but very, very brief, broadly, sure. as I guess anyone doesn't know. But, so the book Jews Don't Count and the documentary Jews Don't Count is really about how uh, a specific type of anti-Semitism, which you'll all be aware of, but which I kind of drill down in, in the book, which is the idea that in the, uh, progressive space in the space where people are very concerned about offence and minorities and inclusion and representation and all those words. Uh, that's where I perceive that there's a kind of like, you know, low in the mix thing going on about Jews and anti-Semitism and how that seems to be not so live as everything else in that conversation. And so the context in which I'm placing the Jews don't count phenomenon has to be seen on that. It's seen on the way that identity politics has become like the biggest thing that people talk about, right? And actually, I do think you've hit on something there. I do think one of the there's a thousand reasons why Jews are low down in that mix. And it's all to do with an idea of Jews as being powerful and rich and white and all the things. But there's another thing that you picked up on there, which is cool. I think Jews are not associated with being very cool. And actually, most other minorities, not just ethnic minorities, you know, gays are definitely cooler than Jews. You know, there's yeah. lots of things that are just, just straightforwardly, like these identities for years have been seen as kind of, you know, more like the sort of thing that people want to fight for, want to claim to be, want to embody, want to, you know, just want to fly the flag for than Jews. And I think at one point in the book, and no one will get this in America, but I'm going to say it anyway. Say <laughs> we do have topic, a British audience as well. <laughs> okay, so for the British audience, and this is quite localised as well, I say, I say Jews, it's just a bit Stanmore. And Stanmore <laughs> is part of London, which is just like a suburb and really boring, and people have a nice, nice houses there, but they're not particularly interesting or exciting. And nothing happens there apart from, the, <laughs> right? And so that's the notion, right? Whereas I think there is, uh, I mean, obviously, in, in historically, Jews have been really cool, actually. There's been thousands and thousands that's of it. things that are amazingly cool that Jews have done. But there is this sort of sense in which, you know, certainly the wider culture has becalmed Jews somewhere in a place which isn't like, we're not that bothered about that. It's not really cool. It's not really interesting. And I think that Jews don't count is part of a phenomenon that I, I like to think is changing that. Lots of other things, like like I saw this show by Alex Edelman. Do you know Alex oh, Edelman? Did you see it? I've heard it's incredible. Yeah. I haven't got yeah. tickets yet. Yeah, it's on in London. We just finished yes. being on in London. It's called yes. Just For Us. And it's a story about how Alex Edelman, who is a stand-up, went to a sort of undercover, sort of accidentally, to a white supremacist <laughs> meeting uh, where no one knew he was Jewish, but they find out he's Jewish over the course of the evening. It's really funny, but it's also part of uh, what I'm talking about here, which is a sort of recalibration of what it is Jewish culture because it's really funny really cool and quite a lot of non-Jews people like Phoebe Waller-Bridge for example and people like that turned up to see it in London so people so it, it wasn't just Jews talking to each other Good. it was breaking out and and you know, on Broadway it's doing that too it becomes a thing that people want to see not just because like oh these are Jews in the ghetto talking to themselves right and so I think it is changing but it, it's not easy to change so we have to have a sort of rebranding effort and yeah. um, become. But well, I'm sure, in, I think your show is doing that too, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, we are. And, you know, I think it is important and, and there is a real gap for it. You know, we don't want to connect with sort of synagogue branding and, and yeah. language. We want to sort of take it forward. But are we saying then that the sort of outcry for other minorities comes from a sort of self-serving status of if I if I support this, it makes me look good and that is not, what's happening well in some cases not always i think yeah. it'd be unfair yeah to everyone yeah. who supports minorities but yes i think there is an element yeah. of 
you know, this is a this is a very new, often very uh, hip thing to get behind on social media. On allyship tends to have a fashionability to it. And I think Jews have for a long time been very low on that fashion scale of of what to get uh, involved with. I mean, it has a political, a huge political dimension as well. Um, On my documentary, Jonathan Safran Fur was on my documentary. And, you know, Jonathan Safran Fur, the writer. um, And he said this thing, which he said that um, if you if you're part of a worldview, which most a lot of progressive people are, a slightly simplistic worldview that the world can be divided up into uh, the victimizers and the victimized, then you don't see Jews. Those people don't see Jews as the victimized. They see Jewish success and they think, well, they're not the victimized, so they must be the victimizers. Mm. And allyship tends to flow to the victimized, right? It tends to flow to those people who you think, well, they're vulnerable, they're victimized, so we have to fight on their behalf. Now, if you don't see Jews as as victimized, then somehow or other, they're not going to get the help of allyship. Which goes completely against the fact that Jews, as I'm sure you know, are you know one of the most targeted hate groups in the uh, groups for hate attacks, for hate speech in the world, and conspiracy theory against Jews is really growing. I mean, actually, the fashionability of anti-Semitism is very high. I That's know. the weird it's, thing. It's normalised, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's okay. Incredibly, it's incredibly normalised, and I, mean, I saw a thing the other day. Did you see this? This was on social media. It's really horrible is some guy who's part of some terrible neo-Nazi group called the Goyim Defense League. Did you see this? He's in he's in Florida and he's just going around with a megaphone shouting anti-Semitic abuse at Jews in Florida. Um, I mean, I wouldn't advise anyone watching to check it out unless they've got a strong stomach because it's hideous. Mm. But it also ties into something else, which is, so this guy is doing that. When I saw it, it was five days old. I'm not aware of anyone, you know, mm. clamping down on that, either police in Florida or people on social media calling it out and saying, come on, we've got to stop this. Nothing is happening. He seems to just be doing it, you know, and there is a space in which anti-Semitism is just like, okay, we're not going to worry about it still in our culture. And that's really what the book is about, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to oppose. And um, when you thought about writing the book, did you realize you would become this sort of icon in the Jewish space of people come um, up and you know you, your Jewishness has always been a part of your persona hasn't it I think you've called yourself Jew in your bio for is it a decade now or um I I never not talked about being Jewish it's been in my stand-up I've done I've wrote The Infidel which is a film I did with Omid Jalili in the main role about a Muslim man who discovers that he was biologically Jewish which is a very Jewish film and lots of other stuff that I've done over the years. But I guess what happened was the actual thing is the Times Literary Supplement were, made, were creating this range of essay books and they just came to me and said, you can write about anything you like. Uh, and they're kind of short and we want, it wants to be kind of a, like an essay, like a polemic. And I um, had been talking particularly for a while about this thing that I noticed. And it was during the Jeremy Corbyn years, which kind of catalyzed it all. Uh, that within what might be called, I guess, my political background, my political homeland, uh, although I'm kind of apolitical in many ways these days, but I was certainly someone who came from that space, from the left, feeling like, God, you know, it feels very alienating there at the moment because there's no concern, it seems to me, for what I've just talked about with the rising anti-Semitism, the anti-Semitism online, the fact that, you know, 11 Jews are massacred in Pittsburgh in 2018, and somewhere or other, that's not considered one of the most atrocious massacres of recent times, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I sort of put all that in the book. And 
in terms of your question, which is no, I didn't know what the effect would be. But when I saw when I interviewed Sarah Silverman on the documentary, and she said that the things that I was saying in the book, many Jews had them around them like something in the air, like they were a formless mist, something in the air. Uh, and then when she read the book, it was like the mist like contracted. Yes. This is what it is. You well, know, do you so find get... the words that we can't articulate, which is why I think, you know, go back to your original point about everyone wants to create, you know, you want, you want, I want you to be the center of, you know, all these stories because you have a way of making them digestible. Like the book, I have to say the first, I was shocked by how, because I wasn't expecting yeah. it, how digestible it was and yeah. easy to read. And it's the same with everything you put out and it's yeah. needed. Yeah. Um, I think that's because I come from stand up comedy. Yes. And although, I mean, there are jokes in the book, thank the Lord. <laughs> um, and there are, I try and do jokes in everything I do, but I'm talking about serious stuff. And But I come from stand-up. And if you're a stand-up, what your voice is, even when you're writing, and even when you're writing about serious subjects, is, is it's accessible. You're always aware of an audience, and you're always aware that you should sound like, I mean, this is just the way I think, right? That it's just like, I'm talking to you. I'm not writing it down in a very kind of like academic way. I'm talking to you. So the yes. book is complex, got complex ideas in it, but it still all the time feels like oh, this is just someone talking to me. And uh, it's vernacular, right? And that, that I think is the key to what you're talking about. I mean, the other day, another thing, I don't know if you saw this, I wrote an article about you people. Did you see that? I've heard a lot of the stuff around you people. I'm not sure I read um, specifically what you read. Okay, so I wrote an article for the Sunday Times about oh, you yes. people. Yes, for anyone who hasn't seen that, it's a film on Netflix. And it was number one on Netflix for quite a while. And the premise of you, you people is a Jewish guy played by Jonah Hill uh, gets together with a black woman played by Lauren London. And it's kind of meet the parents. But, you know, the issues are not Robert De Niro's just a truculent guy. The issue is it's Jewish parents and black parents. And Eddie Murphy in particular, who plays the dad, is very sort of stentorian. But he's not just stern, right? He's a Farrakhanite. He's a, you know, he supports Louis Farrakhan. He thinks that the Jews are responsible for financing the slave trade. He doesn't believe the Holocaust was as big a deal as slavery. I mean, he's really, you know, anti-Semitic. There's no getting around that. And on the other side, the Jews, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus and David Duchovny, are more like just a bit tone deaf about yes. racism. Painfully, you know? yeah. Painfully like tone deaf about racism, right? But at the end of the movie, and I'm sorry, this is a spoiler, so if you turn it <laughs> off, turn this off if you don't want to know the spoiler, at the end of the movie, as as happens in a romantic comedy, you think that the couple have like fallen apart because of these parents, but then the parents organise it so that everyone's fine. And the way they do that is there's a big apology scene. But you know who apologises? Just the Jews. Basically, it's just the Jews. It's just Julia Lewis-Dreyfus saying, I'd like to apologise. She actually says this, I'd like to apologise on behalf of all white people and all Jewish people, you know, for basically our racist behaviour. And when it's Eddie Murphy's time to apologise, he just says, I'm sorry, I couldn't see you were a nice guy to the Jonah Hill character. You know, there's literally no sense of like, yeah, hang on, what about the Farrakhan stuff? Um, and again, like when I wrote that article, I got people writing to me saying, yeah, I felt uncomfortable watching this movie, but I couldn't quite explain why. So you've seemed to have articulated it. And that's the same thing. Mm. But I don't know if I want this to be my job forever. But it sounds like you're drawn to it. Like you, you decided to comment on Seth Seth Rogen and get that yeah. conversation started. Is it a sort of activism inside Jonah of Hill. you? Jonah Hill, do you mean? Not Seth no, um, the, no, the the pod, the podcast with about the pizza. Who do, Italians and pizza? No, that was Joe Rogan. 
Not Joe Seth Rogen, Rogen, not Seth Rogen. Yeah. He's a whole, he's uh, a whole other one. Not Seth Rogen's a whole other deal. <laughs> yeah. um, but, Joe um, Rogan, Joe Rogan with the biggest yeah. podcast no, in the world. Well, you know what it is, Karen. It's it's partly because yeah, I'm the go-to guy for this phenomenon, and but also I am interested in what lies underneath in general. You know, when people say stuff oh. about anything, I'm thinking like, what's going on there? What are they really saying? And I'll be honest with you, with Jews, that happens a lot. That's one reason why I found myself there is I'm good at deconstructing. Okay, here's that what they're saying X. Here's what they really mean, and maybe they don't even know that's what they really mean. And I like doing that. I, you know, Jeremy Corbyn the other day was talking about me, which was obviously led to an enormous blow on Twitter. But he said, "Oh, is David Biddy on my psychiatrist? Does he know what I'm thinking?" And I thought, well, yeah. two things there. Two things there, Jeremy. Number one, you may have heard of the phrase unconscious bias and how that is applied by other minorities to the majority culture and accepted by all progressive people. But also, yes, I mean, I'm not your psychiatrist, but I can say what I think is going on behind someone's words. That's partly what I do. It's what I do in Jews Don't Count when I give all those examples of like, you know, this is like clearly coming from an anti-Semitic trope, but it's not always conscious. That's part of anti-Semitism. It's a guy wrote to me, actually a non-Jewish guy, and I really like this on Twitter just after the book came out, and said, I w- I'm a progressive person. I'm a left-wing person. I think of myself as anti-racist, but I've read your book. And now I see that anti-Semitism is the racism that sneaks past you. Mm. And I think that is a brilliant description yes. of A, anti-Semitism, and B, what I'm trying to make the book a primer against. You've got a hashtag, Jews Don't Count. It, it seems to have created a phenomena. And, um, you know, Noah Tishby did a... Um little reel the other day I don't know how you feel about this about whether you think it's it's uh, Jews don't count or it's oversensitive about Rihanna performing Kanye songs and she said it's yet another example of Jews don't count you know every people are coining it did you anticipate this phenomena and what were your goals with the book and and what kind of impact were you hoping it would have or was it just a case of I need to get this out my system and create a handbook almost well the title is really important I think and has become something that I now see said a lot, often without reference to me. Uh, That's a bit like something else I did. Uh, Again, you will know this, but not everyone watching will know this, but I wrote a football song, uh, which has the refrain, it's coming home. I can't believe there'll be people listening that have, I mean, it's literally You've told me that Americans listen to this. There's mostly Americans, but I mean, it's such an anthem in this country. We'll we'll put a poll out um, when the podcast comes out, I would have interested. I see that all the time, like on the news and stuff. Like I see people saying, oh, is it coming home or, you know, whatever. I think like, okay, well, me and Frank Skinner, we wrote that, those lines, but they've now just become synonymous with, a certain moment when we'll England link to sees- the song in the show notes as well so that okay. everyone in america can listen but jews it. don't count is like my serious it's coming home it's it. <laughs> it's like this is like the, the the other mantra that i came up with and uh i um i think that itself i'm i'm very pleased with it as a title even though some people have, have willfully misunderstood it most notably my german publishers publishers who refused to put it on the book so i don't know if you know this but because... the book Book her out in Germany. It was the first country that it got translated in. And they said, we can't call it Jews, don't Juden Zeilen nicht, which is the literal translation. We can't call it that, they said. Uh, they sent me an email with our history. And I wanted to troll them and just write back and say, sorry, what history? Sorry, can you just, what were you talking about? <laughs> See how long it would take for them to, to, to understand that I was joking. But anyway, <laughs> so it's in, in, they wouldn't do it. They said it's too strong for Germany. 
Um, and then they changed it to a really weird title in German, which is Und die Juden, question mark, which means and the Jews, question mark, which yeah. I think is it's like an even creepier, much creepier title. I do too. It doesn't make any sense. Well, it sort of does, because the idea is, well, you're leaving the Jews out. Oh, I see. So, so and the be... Jews... But it yeah. sounds like something a Nazi general would say to Hitler at a very dark part of the Second World War <laughs> film. You don't want to have to work out what the title means. No, exactly, this is. Exactly. Even if you don't read the book, you've learned yeah. something from the cover and it's cre creating intrigue with that. And it, yeah. yeah, it's it's become a, a turn of phrase that yeah. we can latch on to. Also, just as a sidebar to that German story, when I went to Berlin to launch the book, every single German journalist said, why have you called it this weird new <laughs> title? And I said, because the publishers said you wouldn't accept it. And no, we love Judenzeile nicht. Um, but but it is, of course, a few people have said, like people, someone said to me the other day, that um, their mum had had it on the coffee table. And the young people, like, you know, I think the book is read, definitely read by young people. These were really young. These were like 14-year-olds had seen it and were like, what's that book? It's disgusting, right? And obviously they were taking the title literally. Right? My daughters Where, saw it, yeah. Yeah, whereas obviously the title is not meant literally. The title is modelling an attitude that I feel exists towards Jews, and that's what I'm opposing. So that's what the title means. But no, I didn't know it was going to be as big a hit as it's been, is to answer your question a long time ago. Well, that's it, that's it, a great outcome. Yeah, no, it's a fabulous outcome. I mean, the truth is you ne do never know. Like we get asked a lot, me and Frank, did you know that Three Lions was going to be such a big hit? And no, we, you don't know. But as you said earlier, I've always done stuff which is like, okay, what what am I really engaged with? I never do anything. This is true. I know it'll sound like I'm virtue signaling or whatever here, but it's true. I never do anything that I think like, oh, this is right for my career. I only do things where I think this is what I'm really thinking about. I've got this inside me that I need to put out into the world. And, you know, back then it was I needed to write a song about how England are always losing, but we hope they're going to win. And then when I wrote this, it was a book about how Jews were being left out of the identity politics conversation. So that is kind of zeitgeisty, I think. It's like there's a thing inside me that feels like the stuff I've got to say tends to be just a tiny bit ahead of the zeitgeist. And that, so that's helpful, I think. You know how much I love being Jewish and all the good stuff, but you know, all my life I've tried to find a community that feels authentic, inclusive and fun. And it's hard as a modern Jewish woman, you're running around, busy, lots going on, but you want that space where you've got your like-minded Jewish women around you, your squads, your girls, and you also feel empowered to go out there and live your best Jewish life. And that's why I created Smashing Life. It is now all inside an app. It's at your fingertips, on your phone, and it's everything you could possibly want as a modern Jewish woman. We've got Jewish calendar, Jewish recipes, incredible chats, conversations. It is the place where Jewish women discover, share, and connect. So I invite you to join my community where there's no labels, no judgment, just authentic connection at smashinglife.club. I'll see you at smashinglife.club. So, I mean, I know that you're, am I correct saying you're a descendant of Holocaust survivors? My, my mother was born in Nazi Germany. Um, and, and could this be connected to sort of that history and that, I mean, it's quite a, what you're doing. And I mean, you must be fatigued by it all somewhat. And it's so, it's so energy zapping, you know, these, these arguments, conversations, as much as you appear to keep it light, how does it, yeah. how does it affect you? 
Well, there's two quick. So the the so my mum was born in Nazi Germany. My grandparents uh, got out as well, but most of my family was murdered. Uh, my wider family, um, they had a very flourishing business in a place called Königsberg, which was in East Prussia, now in, now in Russia, um, and they lost everything. And my my grandfather had actually been in Dachau before the war. He was arrested after Kristallnacht, um, and he, you know. He was just he was clinically depressed for the rest of his life. So that trauma, I think, gets passed on. Um, and I think the complex understanding of second generation, first generation, second generation trauma. But I think what it has led in me in on a lighter sense, I think, is a yeah, a sort of like burning desire to say the things that I think need to be said. And obviously, specifically, if I feel anti-Semitism is something creeping up in society, then having a mum who was born, like a mum who was born in, like, this is not like great great grandmother. My mother was born in Nazi Germany. I'm only here by the absolute skin of my teeth. She mm. got out in 1939. Um, so, wow. you know, it's obviously partly to do with that. Um, what was the other question? It was I Nazi. don't recall. I'm so embroiled yeah. in your, in oh, your right. storytelling. Oh, do I get exhausted? Do I get <laughs> yes, exhausted? fatigue, anti Semitism fatigue. Yeah, I do to some extent. I get for also, you know what? So there's two issues. One is just like, Anti-Semitism, when you talk about it, gets a much, much heavier pushback than any other form of a minority talking about discrimination against them because of this belief that Jews somehow or other don't really need the strictures that we allow other minorities. So you have to put up with a lot of fire back at you. But I'm sort of used to that. Now, I think part of the problem is when you say, when you like, I have been talking about this for two years, and some of the stuff I say feels to me like it's in the nursery slopes of the conversation. So, for example, something that I've said a lot but feels to be like so obvious is that anti-Semitism is racism. And the reason you can tell it's racism and not religious intolerance, which is what a lot of people class it as, is I am an atheist. I have a book coming out about atheism, but that would have made no difference to the Nazis. I, they would have shot me Im- immediately. I have no free passes out of Auschwitz for not keeping kosher. And it's the same with neo-Nazis now. Neo-Nazis would not ask when I last went to synagogue before they burnt down my house right so and that's because I am innately for the racist a Jew and that's what makes it racism right and not uh religious intolerance but it's amazing how many people don't get that I mean I say so many people the head of the anti-defamation league Jonathan Greenback called me after I went on tv I went on tv in this country to talk about Whoopi Goldberg and her misreading of the holocaust in which I explained what I've just said to you he called me and he said, could you just explain that again? Jonathan Greenblatt. And I <laughs> explained it again. And the next day, the ADL, having not defined anti-Semitism as racism, changed their definition on their on their website. What? Which is great, but it is amazing that up to that point they hadn't because of I a mean... sort of fear of encroaching on, you know, the arena of racism and that Jews are somehow not allowed to do that. So you've almost sort of unpacked, I'm not unpacked, you sort of opened the lid on a serious can of worms. Can of worms doesn't do it justice. I mean, it's all those conversations and you're willing to go there. But I want to get to know you a bit more selfishly. So um, I'm sure the listeners do as well. So how did Judaism play a role in your life growing up? Any funny stories of sort of Jewish life of young David? Yes. Um, (laughs) So I went, so it's a complex thing is with many Jews. So uh, on my mum's side, they were refugees from the Nazis, they were liberal Jews, and they were probably the nearest thing we had to sort of from us in that they, you know, <laughs> they would do Seder nights, my grandparents on her side. 
but we weren't very religious. My dad was just an atheist. He always used to call prayers "olly wolly bolly." So we'd be about to start Seder night, and my dad would say, "When are we going to finish with the fucking olly wolly bolly?" Because he just wanted to eat. Right? So, <laughs> so, so, so it was it was like a split. Uh, but <laughs> I, the nearest school to my house in Cricklewood, where I grew up, that was a good school and that I wouldn't get beaten up in for being a Jew was the North West London Jewish Day School, which was super orthodox. I had to wear sitzit, I had to wear a couple, I had to learn Hebrew, I had to say prayers before every meal. It was like really orthodox. If you want to know how Jewish my school was, I had one line in the school play, which was, well, Rabbi, you certainly do drive a hard bargain. So that's a <laughs> Jewish line indeed. Um, and uh, <laughs> you thought it was just rabbi, but on the way we bargain. But I am, um, I am, um, you know, I grew up this sort of like mixed up, very, very religious on this side, completely irreligious on that side, Jew, which is very common. For and the Holocaust sort of in yeah, the background the as the well. Background, exactly. You know, being Jewish, which I think a lot of people don't understand, is that they only understand Haredi Jews, really, people who are not Jewish. They think like that's a Jew, the people with the black hats and whatever. But most Jews obviously aren't like that. But secular Jews are not not Jews either. They're Jews in a very fluid and complicated way, depending on their personal histories. Um, so I have two brothers. Um, I went to Habonim, which is yep. a Jewish youth group, uh, a socialist Zionist <laughs> youth group. And I went there mainly to meet girls and yep. didn't end up going on Aliyah, which I think was the main idea. <laughs> um, and, you know, I mean, the new book about atheism, actually, has a lot in it about how I'm Jewish, despite the atheism. Uh, so there's quite a long section, uh, for example, about, so Leopoldstadt is a play by Tom Stoppard. Yep. And in the, it starts with a Seder. And when I saw it, there was something wrong, right? He described um, the parsley. <laughs> this is going to get too niche. But it just, <laughs> in Leopold, there's a bit where they talk about the parsley uh, uh, in Seder night being the tears. No, not the tears, the, just the bitterness of, yeah. of the time in Egypt, right? So the bitterness isn't the parsley, it's the mara, it's the bitter herbs, right? And I, I wrote to Tom Stoppard, who I know, to explain that to him. And the point about that is not that I've named up Tom Stoppard. The point is, why? Why as an atheist do I feel the need to Interesting. put that right? It's because I'm, I might be an atheist, but I'm deeply Jewish, right? Yeah, Jewish is so... I mean, I'd like to hear more about um, your... You, how, you know, I know you strongly define yourself as an atheist. It's a big part of your Jewish identity that you're an a- atheist and yeah. a Jew. And Jewish culture is so wonderful and so um, such a wonderful thing to... Ident- you know, we talk about our favourite Jewish music, Jewish cooking, Jewish books, Jewish theatre, Jewish humour. We haven't even touched upon Jewish yeah. humour. And, yeah. you know, the, like the religion... It's a central yeah. thing. People like I used to do this gag, not really a gag, but it's sort of a gag about how you know when people say to me, "What does it mean you're a Jewish atheist?" I say, "I don't believe in God, but I do believe in Larry David," and that's sort yeah. of true. It's that yes. like it's the way that Larry David is, uh, who is also somebody who clearly doesn't believe in God, but he's so Jewish, you know, and his way of being is so Jewish, and the comedy is so Jewish. So that's sort of what I worship at the altar of. If you want to know just how what Jews are actually like from that point of view. Uh, here is a funny story. I uh, was recently, this is to do with me being Britain's Mr. Jew, phoned up, <laughs> not last Hanukkah, but the previous Hanukkah, I was phoned up by my local <laughs> rabbi. I don't even know who my local rabbi is. But <laughs> got my number somehow. Like the Talmud gives all the numbers. All the music <laughs> and he phoned me up and he said, would you come 
and light the menorah outside the cinema, <laughs> right? would you be the you know the celebrity uh, menorah lighter really? i didn't want to do it i didn't want to do that no. it sounded a bit naff so i used my trump card i said i'm sorry to tell you this rabbi but i'm an atheist and he said so am i Oh, that's not a joke that really happens he really happens not a joke and you know what i i think on his part it was sort of not a joke i mean i think he was sort of being funny but at the same time i you know to be jewish you don't really need a sense of god what you need is a sense of ritual yes framework and a framework and values and, as well exactly, all that uh because the actual spiritual element of judaism there's very little clear notion of the afterlife there's, uh, you know, there's the Torah and the Old Testament, but sort of here and now, you don't have a sense that like you, the, the sort of magic that you get with other religions is much more sort of you do this, you do that. And that's what being a Jew is. You know, it's a sort of manual that you yeah. live your life. I really relate to that. Yeah. And, and you know, being Jewish is such a big part of my life. And if I were to say that to a non-Jew, I might worry that they assume I go to synagogue every week and all that religious stuff. So um, why is it important to you to to highlight this element of a- atheism so much so that you've written a book? And is it is sort well, of contrasting well, to the sort of Jewish thing? Or... <laughs> no, no. Well, when you read the book, you won't. It's very Jewish. It's, it's sort of like... <laughs> It's what the Talmud would have Let's, been. What's the book called and when's it out? Let's, okay, let's... The book's called The God Desire. The God Desire. In April. And it's really, it's about, I'll tell you what it's about. Uh, it, it's not a sort of big, it's the same size as Jews Don't Count. And it looks a bit like Jews Don't Count. because Partly because the publishers wanted a sequel to Jews Don't Count, but I wasn't prepared at this stage. I was going to ask you that. <laughs> I wasn't prepared to write Jews Still Don't Count. I might <laughs> In a couple of years, I might write it. I, I didn't want to write it. <laughs> which went over the same ground right? uh so i so the book is still very jewish but what it's primarily about is my belief that because most atheists are very dismissive of religion right i'm not dismissive of religion i think that's partly to do with having grown up in a very religious environment which most of them haven't and knowing that identity and religion are very closely connected even if you don't believe in god and my basic belief is i unlike most atheists i desperately want god to exist i couldn't be happier about the idea of god and that's why i know he doesn't because my (laughs) belief is anything so deeply wished for by everyone by all cultures across all societies must be a fantasy that we've projected into being that's what the book's about it's about how my belief in god is nothing to do really with what came before the big bang or any of those rationalist scientific argument it's a psychological argument based on the fact that that things we desire very deeply we tend to will into being and god is the most deeply desired of all things you know a way out of death something that gives meaning to your life you know something that that if you pray to it will make your life better this is a deeply desired thing and Mm -hmm. i feel it too i feel the desire for it very strongly and that's why i know it doesn't exist and is it a sequel of sorts or is it nothing to do with with the first book um well, the publishers are desperate to call it a follow-up to Jews Don't Count. And I say, bet they are. So if you look on Twitter now, I've just replaced my header with the God Desire. Oh, head. no, um, I wanted you to be you... Mr. Jew. <laughs> well, <laughs> as I say, if you read the book, you'll think, oh, it's actually a really Jewish book. Yeah, the people uh, that know, I... know, kind of, if yeah. you know, you know. <laughs> yeah, and there's lots about being Jewish in it. I mean, it starts off with, it starts off with the whole thing about how I'm, I'm an insomniac. I am, I've always been an insomniac. And how that might be related to the fact that my mum told me when I was six, 
when I was trying to understand what death was, she said to me, oh, death is like a long sleep from which you never wake up. And I think that completely <laughs> fucked it for me as regards sleep, right? Uh, but, I, but I remember I started praying then. When I found out that's what death was, I started praying to Hashem. And this is like in the first part of the book, the words Hashem uh, are because I wanted, you know, me and my brothers and my best friend Saul Rosenberg to like not die and to be with me in, in heaven afterwards mm-hmm. or whatever. And and that's when I started to realize what I realize now, which is, you know, we are all frightened and God provides a way out of that fear. But yes, it comes, by, it comes that, by a Jewish road as ever. Good. So that can be um, once it's out, we'll we'll certainly discuss that in our book club, Inside Smashing Life, as we have great. done with Jews Don't Count. So I've got to ask you before we get on to our final quick fire round, which is a lot of fun. Um, I'd love to know, obviously, what you're passing down subconsciously or con or unconsciously to your children what sort of traditions and rituals are you sharing with them how do you approach Jewish culture with them how Jewish are your children <laughs> well they are they are Jewish they identify as Jewish they are I, I hate to disappoint anyone but I'm not married to a Jewish woman I'm married to a woman of Catholic heritage Morwenna Banks who is the um well she's known for many things she's she's just written something which is on sky called funny woman and she she also writes slow horses and she was a performer and she's the voice uh, of mommy mommy pig yeah, which is global mommy pig global which is complicated, fame complicated for a jewish bloke <laughs> a uh, even a non-religious one but um uh, my children despite not having a jewish mother are uh, both identify as jewish i mean i think that's partly because I said being Jewish wasn't cool, but Christian obviously is, is even less cool than that. <laughs> uh, so I think they think it's cool. But they also, you know, they just had, I mean, we did Christmas and stuff, but we also always did have, and do still have, Hanukkah and Pesach. Um, and they had quite a lot of influence from my mother when she was still mm. with us, who, who towards the end of her life, you know, uh, became a bit of a big mucker at the synagogue in Hatch End, where she was. Um, and so Dolly, my daughter, is she's really quite keen on it all she wears mark and david earrings and uh the uh, last pesach she went out to get matzah and mm. sent me a text saying you're supposed to be britain's mr jew and you haven't got any matzah for pesach <laughs> um and, there must be some funny conversations in your house yeah and ezra <laughs> my son who's 18 and like probably the most confident breezy comfortable in his own skin person i've ever met my son is just very very happy thinking of himself as jewish has experienced anti-Semitism. He at his school, someone called him a dirty Jew, and he punched him, um, which I was very proud of. Uh, so you know, yeah, it's really, yeah, it's Jewish. really interesting to hear that, David, because we have members inside a Smashing Life community who are also in, for one of a better, I hate labels, but mixed faith relationship, whatever. One's Jewish, one's not, and they they're concerned about raising sort of proud Jewish children or children that identify as Jewish, whether it's the mother or the father. It really doesn't matter. So, yeah. how do you feel you've created that environment? I'm sure some of our listeners would love would love to know that. I don't think there's a specific manual for doing that. Um, you know, tips. <laughs> I think I think like culture is great, right? Um, and so we do aspects of Catholic culture as well. Um, and you know, going to churches when more when and what she doesn't believe either, but she likes going to churches and lighting candles and whatever, right? And we've always done Christmas, but culture, Jewish culture is fascinating and extraordinary, isn't it? Right? So uh, there's no way I was not going to have that around the house uh, yeah. when my children were growing up. I mean, my mom as well. My mom was an extraordinary woman, and I think she saw herself a bit in battle with Morwenna's mom, uh, and so whenever like the high holy days came around, Christmas was coming around, my mum would come around 
with like a thousand mm. Hanukkah things. She had Hanukkah bunting. I don't even know where you get Hanukkah oh. bunting. But she would have like happy Hanukkah bunting and put it up all over the house. Oh, as a yeah. kind of like, so I, you know, it's just the way it's worked out. I'm always mm. going to want to do a bit of that. I, you know, I don't see it. Uh, I mean, I was very, I'm very clear about this in the atheist book, in the God Desire. I talk, I talk actually this very serious moment about how uh, a friend of mine, his son died uh, young and at the funeral, he said Kaddish and I don't believe in God, but that seems to be like sonically absolutely what needs to be said and heard at that time. It's something ancient and painful in the very sound of the words, right? It reaches something into you that is beyond words. And that is a thing that I feel very deeply without any sense at all of an actual supernatural being listening to it. And I actually think the rituals around death and mourning are yeah. saviors. I mean, yeah. it's Jewish. We've got that right. You know, I'm, yeah. I think you've experienced it sadly as have I. And it's just, yeah, that rawness and the strip back and the, the shiver. And there's a, so I've got to ask you, it could be the, the Jewish uh, mourning rituals, but what do you, what do you love most about being Jewish before we head into our quick fire round? Um, <laughs> what do I? I mean, it would be easy to say lakshan pudding just as a joke, because like uh, that's uh, like food. I mean, I do like Jewish food. I think Jewish yeah. food. I, I say this in the book, by the way. Sorry, this is not a quick. The fire. first book or the second book? <laughs> the Jewish book. The Jews. I say the Jews don't count. If you want an example of Jews not counting, look at the rows around food at the moment. So any food yes. at all. You know, it can be appropriate. If it's appropriated by someone not of that culture, it's a huge row. Someone cooks a Chinese meal, like a professional chef, but they're not Chinese and they add something, you know, I don't know, something American to it, whatever, then they can get really badly burnt for doing that. And there's, I'm not going to get into the rights or wrongs of that, but what I am going to say is all over the world, Jewish food is appropriated. Bagels, chopped liver, lox, all this Jewish food constantly being appropriated schnitzel all sorts of food by other cultures and no one ever complains about it no one complains about it at all the only time it, there's ever an issue with it is when israelis are accused of appropriating palestinian food yes because yes. people say falafel and hummus is palestinian food or whatever but there's a, an enormous tradition of jewish food that you know non-jewish chefs are continually cooking with and no one no one cares about that and they shouldn't care about it they shouldn't care about it but in the framework of things you know that the people do care it's a typical jews don't count phenomenon anyway the food, but primarily the comedy. Primarily yeah, the Jew. comedy. Can I, I just mean, ask really... that? I've got to ask you, David Badil, Mr. Drew and Mr. Comedy. Sorry, you've yeah. yourself labeled yourself Mr. Britain Drew. Um, what 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 is Jewish? How would you describe Jewish humor? Well, that's a really difficult question. I can read you the Wikipedia uh, entry if you want. Oh, there's a Wikipedia entry for Jewish humor. There's I... a Wikipedia entry for Jewish humor. I think I've got okay. it in my notes. It's well, actually, Jew... I, 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 I can tell you a joke. Which is, I think, um, it doesn't necessarily sum up Jewish humour, but it is a joke which I really like about anti-Semitism, which is, so it's an old joke. It's like a joke about two Russian Jews um, and they're walking through Moscow. Let's call them Moses and Abraham. And they're both poor and they see a church and it says, convert today to Christianity. We'll give you 20 rubles. And Abraham says to Moses, okay, I'm going to do it. I've had enough. I'm poor. We're starving. I'm going to go in. And Abraham, Moses says, no, I'm not. And Abraham goes in and half an hour later, he comes out and Moses, the guy who's out there, says to him, so did you get your 20 rubles? And Abraham says, money, it's everything to you people. <laughs> and I love that joke because it's a joke about anti-Semitism. It's a joke about 
you know, how how people are very, very quick to, to join the mob about ideas about Jewishness. But it also it's got something else which is very Jewish, which is a kind of shrugging acceptance yes. of, the shit, of the shitness of the world. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, that's in a lot of Jewish comedy, I think. Love it, love it. Okay. Actually, we one are... more joke. I've got to tell you one oh, more joke. Oh, please do, so please Jewish do. brings people down to earth. And if you want to, <laughs> I don't know if this joke will work, but it really made me laugh when I read it. <laughs> it's like, if you want to know the way that, so Jewish, it's not about religion in a way. It's not about the higher things. It's about the lower things, right? And so one day, the, the Dalai Lama's mother turns up to see the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama's mother says, okay, Sheldon, enough is enough. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and I love that joke. <laughs> I love that joke. Oh, so yeah, it's basically, you know, J- Jewish jokes bust through, you know, the disguise. Yeah. And I think it's bit. it's this part of the secret to our survival, would you say? Is that yeah, fair? I mean it's so important. Isn't I mean Jews you sort of hit the nail on the head there, Karen, which is if there's one thing Jews are about, it's survival. Yes. You know that thing that Jews are supposed to say before every celebration, every festival. Mm. They tried to kill us, they failed, let's eat. And it is a fantastically good summary of what it means to be Jewish, those words. Yeah, right? thinking about I'm a survivor. It's true. Yeah. It's, it's, it, no, it encompasses it all. So quick, quick fire round, yeah. to, which I do with all my guests. So yes. they, you can answer in a, in a short one-word answer. You can elaborate with the story as you wish. Okay. Favourite Yiddish word? Um, kvetch. <laughs> Favourite Jewish holiday? I like Sukkot. You, I like, but I like that's the, the first guest to give me Sukkot. What was with Sukkot? But also, I don't like to say the root one answer, so I don't want to say Hanukkah <laughs> or Pesach. Uh, I'm going to say Sukkot, even though we, not that we do it, but I like the idea <laughs> of building a sort of shed made out of leaves that you go and sit in. <laughs> like, that's wild. It's like a sort of thing that you do when you're four um, and waving a, a big lemon. Uh, it's the craziest of the festivals, so I like Sukkot. And I hope I hope your mother had Sukkot bunting brought into the house. <laughs> <laughs> your favorite Jewish tradition. I'm forcing you to be as Jewish as possible on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I always look forward to the apple and honey on Rosh Hashanah. I mean, it's food again, but I always no, like apple it. and honey. I kind of like the idea of the sweet New Year, although I kind of think like it's typical Jewish overdoing it a bit because apples are sweet and honey is sweeter. <laughs> Like you'd have thought, like honey and bread is fine. Like why something <laughs> sweet and then something else sweet? But I like, yeah, apple and honey is a nice tradition. I quite like um, breaking the glass at marriage. Oh, you know, I have another cool. brand called Smashing the Glass, which is all about oh, Jewish weddings. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. It's well, the moment, isn't it? Smashing well, the glass. The reason I like it, but I don't even know if this is right, is that is it not a sort of Jewish thing that at a very, very wonderful, normally quite idealized moment there's something a little bit breaking involved, something that involves something being smashed, that maybe there's going to be some trauma ahead. Of course, <laughs> will. All marriages will have trauma. <laughs> so, so I like that. So one of, one of, there's lots of meanings to it. One of the ones that I like is your marriage will last as long as it would take to put all the pieces of glass back oh, together. Okay. There's a really awful naff one that it's the last time the groom will put his foot down, which I can't bear those sort of jokes. That's awful. Um, there's I like my of... one. I like my one. It's a I like your one. But there will be some trauma ahead. <laughs> yes, very Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Who's the celebrity you'd most want to interview on your Jews Don't Count documentary part two? Huh. Who is the celebrity I'd, l- I'd most like to interview? It would probably be Larry David, I, but I don't think he'd yeah. be very bothered. 
it would just I would just be using that as an excuse to beat Larry. <laughs> Have Jones. you met Larry? I haven't, but I I think almost definitely he would like not care about the Jews don't count phenomenon because he would just say no, I'm fine, I'm doing fine because Larry seems to be like the most brilliantly self-interested person ever and so because he's obviously like done incredibly well the idea of like no I'm fine you know, it wouldn't be a problem but I, you I don't would, think I, he'd have a respect for what you're doing I mean I amongst so. it all I Actually, think he would I really think he would a little bit of a scoop for you is Ben Stiller got in touch with we got we, we spoke a bit on DM on Twitter and I sent him a documentary he hasn't got back to me yet but uh he'd be great I think he'd be really yes Yes, we'll start a we'll, we'll yeah. start a so movement. Ben, get back to David about his documentary campaign. Uh, we'll we'll make yeah. that happen. If you could have Friday night dinner with any three Jewish people, dead or alive, I guess Larry David's right. one of them. Who would it be and why? Well, let, let's miss out Larry David because we we've had him already. <laughs> um, I'm going to put my mum in there just because she was always wanting us to have a big Friday night dinner, like regular thing. We never did that. We regularly did, and we saw her a lot, uh, yeah. but not particularly on Friday night dinners. So I don't think I could like uh, have have like the big one, the big ultimate archetype of Friday <laughs> dinner, and not raise her from the dead. Oh, so definitely, yeah. my mum would be there. I'm tempted to put my son in there, but I don't know. Then I'll just put my daughter, and then it's just Friday <laughs> <laughs> the regular. Uh, so that's rubbish. Uh, I, I'd like to put. I can't remember which rabbi it is, but in the Seder night. There's a rabbi who's always been described as the one who invents sandwiches. Do you know the one I'm talking about? There's I'd like to know bit, more about the rabbi that yeah, wants sandwiches on Seder night. A, a rabbi is talked about as the guy who thought of, like, if you want to eat the bitter herb, the maror, at Seder, you can put it in between two bits of matzah to make the taste of the maror not quite so bad. And every single time someone says, oh, so the Jews invented sandwiches, which is clearly not true because the Earl of Sandwich invented sandwiches. Oh. But that guy, that guy, he could come and he could, like, be in charge of the food. <laughs> and Joan Rivers because yeah. I think Joan Rivers is a like the most Jewish comedian at some level uh, like so Jewish but also unbelievably admirable as a woman who just like completely created the idea of the sort of sassy upfront Jewish well not Jewish female stand-up at a time when that was really didn't exist mm. in the 60s if you actually watch her now still you just think she's still like you know, there's been lots of others since Roseanne Barr and many other great female comedians, uh, but she was such a trailblazer for that. I think it's sort of incredible uh, her energy on stage. She'd probably be a bit nuts uh, and a bit difficult to please for dinner, but I'm going to say Joan Rivers. My mum, <laughs> yeah, the rabbi who invented matzo sandwiches and Joan Rivers. It'd be oh, great. I, I would love to be invited to be part <laughs> of that as well. It sounds great, David. You've been great. Where I mean. The book is available everywhere in different yeah. titles in different countries, or is it really called Jews Don't Count apart from in Germany? <laughs> yeah, Germany is called Unter Juden. It's available in a number of different countries and in America. Yeah, you can yeah, get it. I highly on, recommend it. You can it's... get it on the awful big behemoth, you know, Amazon. Yeah. You can go to an independent bookshop and get it. And I have it. to, you know, I mean, my my audience now, I rec- I re- every time something comes up, like with Kanye or whatever, and people are like, why? Why does people not help us? Why are people not support? I say, read this book. It's such a brilliant, and it's engaging and fun, and it's digestible, which I think is really what was the most appealing thing almost because you want to understand it but you don't want to sift through so highly recommend it and where can we find you online to chat uh, uh, online if you want to find me i'm on at badil on twitter and at the real badil on instagram um, and finally uh, the, the, not the, on facebook the atheist book is coming out the atheist book is called the god desire and it's out 
on April the 13th or 14th. And it, but available for pre-order now. <laughs> Thank did you, you for you the deliver- did you deliberate spelling it G hyphen D, the Jewish word? Oh, I didn't. I should have done. I should have done. I might have made it too Jewish. Um, yeah, good thought. Maybe I'll yeah. deliver, if I bring out one just for Hampstead on Sunday. I'll have it personally delivered. Yeah. Listen, David, it's been so fun. This has met my expectations, which were really high meeting you. I loved it. I hope you enjoyed it as well. I did, Karen. It's lovely to meet you. Just thank you for everything. And thank you. Bye-bye. All the best. If you want my free guide to how to stand up to anti-Semitism in 2022 in a safe, effective way, just go to yourjewishlife.co slash stop. That's yourjewishlife.co slash S-T-O-P. It's a really great guide. It's really concise. Take you a few minutes to read, but it's got tips for dealing with overt acts of anti-Semitic hate, as well as microaggressions. There's lots of resources, additional books, Instagram accounts and podcasts. And it's just a really, really empowering resource that everyone needs to own. It's my How to Stand Up to Anti-Semitism in a Safe, Effective Way guide. It's at yourjewishlife.co slash stop.